Eternal God, we recognize what an amazing privilege it is to hear your voice as we've heard it read to us. And so we ask that you would teach us your ways and show us your glory through our Lord Jesus Christ, that our lives may be changed forever. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, do you fully read the, uh, the instructions before you begin assembling a piece of furniture? Um, after many times of taking twice as long as it should take, because nearing the end I've discovered that a piece uh, that I put in early on was the wrong way around, and having to disassemble everything and then put it back together again, I realized that there is value of sitting down and reading all the instructions first, before you begin construction. Equally important is um, when you're using very sort of uh, technological things is to read the maker's instructions, uh, whether it is uh, a car or a toaster or an iPhone. I mean, I could use my MacBook Pro as a sledgehammer, but um, it would only achieve results very briefly and it would trash it from its original purpose because I wasn't following the maker's instructions. Now, I kind of mentioned this because it seems to me that we are living in a damaged and broken society. Uh, last year, the Office of National Statistics released a report showing how recorded crimes in England and Wales, and I doubt Scotland was much better, was at an all-time high. While the proportion of offences leading to uh, court action fell to a new low. So 6.3 million crimes were recorded in the year up to March uh, 2022. Offenses at a record high, uh, including rape, up to 70,330. All sexual offenses up. Stalking and harassment offenses up. Violence against person offenses up. Domestic abuse Related offences increased by 12% compared to the pre-pandemic year. We have the highest uh, drug death rate in Europe. We have increasing self-harm and uh, other mental health problems amongst teenagers. Why so much crime? Why so much harm and damage in our society? Well, as we turn back to the book of Exodus, and I really would help you to have it open in front of you this morning, one response would be to observe that we live in a society where only a few have a healthy fear of God. Very few have a reverence for our Creator God. Some are atheist, most are agnostic, if people think about God, he is peripheral and inconsequential. People construct a view of God from their own imaginations rather than from any objective knowledge of what God has actually revealed about himself, what he's declared as being good and evil, what he says is right and wrong. And yet people are quite certain that uh, the God that is there in their own minds is one who's very benignly positive about them in particular. 
People do not want to heed the maker's instructions of how to live according to his plans and purposes. And there's no concern about God's judgment against us who've disobeyed his word and and done damage to others. And that's why I want us to take time over the next 11 Sundays to consider the Ten Commandments given at Mount Sinai. For the claim of the Bible is that God has clearly spoken, and He has revealed Himself clearly. So significant uh, were the events of, what, over 3,500 years ago, that it was written down and has been preserved for us down through history, so we've got a record of it in our Bibles today. J. John wrote this, The Ten Commandments form the foundation of our legal system. They are enshrined in the very heart of our parliamentary structures. They lie at the very core of Western civilization. But my guess is that most Brits today are unaware of them. And so today is kind of serving as an introduction um, uh, before we consider uh, each command in turn over the coming Sundays. And I want this morning to kind of first consider the privilege of the Ten Commandments and the Sinai Covenant to Israel then, before considering the purpose of the Ten Commandments and uh, the Sinai Covenant for Christians today. That's what we kind of look at this morning. So firstly, uh, the, the privilege of the Ten Commandments and the Sinai Covenant for Israel then. I mean, what was God's purpose in these Exodus events? If you start reading from the book of Genesis 3, you'll discover that the descendants of Abraham had become slaves in Egypt. God revealed through Moses why he would rescue them out of slavery. In a conversation recorded in chapter 6, it says this, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And listen to what God says he would do following this deliverance. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. And so through signs and wonders, we know them as plagues, uh, God safely delivered them out of Egypt and he brought them to the mountain of Sinai to invite them into a special covenant relationship with him. The God who created all things, the God who had freed them from slavery and rescued them from oppression in Egypt, this God was offering this special privilege of being their God, that they would be His treasured possession. But they would have to freely choose whether they wanted to be in this special covenant relationship with God or not. So if you look back at chapter 19 and verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt And how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, 
then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites, it says. And in verse 7, so Moses went back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And then the people all respond together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So you see, they freely choose to enter into this covenant with God. And then we come to chapter 20. Uh, the ten words, or as we call them, commandments, along with the judgments of chapters 21 to 23, they form the basis of this covenant. And faithfulness to the covenant on their side meant keeping these commands. And so having agreed that they uh, will keep, obey everything the Lord commands, what we have in these chapters is the record of the moment of them meeting with God. Uh, I don't know whether any of you here have had that experience of having to meet your in-laws, your future in-laws for the first time. It's a very scary and nervous thing if you've never met them before. You are wondering how they're going to think of you. You're thinking very carefully about how, what you dress like, uh, how, uh, how you behave before them. What would it be like to know that you are directly and visibly going to meet with God. I mean, can you picture the awesome scene we have here at Sinai? If you look at chapter 19 and verse 17, this is an incredible verse. Imagine it. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. It's like a volcano. And the whole mountain trembled violently. At the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. Look at chapter 20. It's only been read to us by Sam. 20 verse 1. And God spoke all these words. You know, we haven't had such a long speech from God since Genesis chapter 1. In our English Bibles, ten times it says, and God said. And with those ten words, he created the whole of creation. And here we have this long speech from God. And he gives ten words that will now create and form a nation. Consider the awesome privilege. The creator God spoke in perfectly comprehensible Hebrew. Well, it was comprehensible to them, right? Perfectly comprehensible Hebrew to his people. Now, to make any relationship work, you need clear communication. And at Sinai, the maker was revealing 
and clearly communicating his instruction on how Israel could experience and enjoy a blessed relationship with him. What a privilege this is, that the people of God can actually know the will of God. It was a lecture by Dale Ralph Davis that brought this home to me. He pointed out what a new idea this was in the ancient world. See, one of the problems with paganism, with multiple gods, is that you never know where you stood with these gods. Although you might be in favor with one god, another god or goddess might try and trip you up in some way. And we've got recorded an ancient pagan prayer. And we'll put it on the screen. And this is what it says. The, the person is praying. The transgression I have committed, I do not know. The sin that I've committed, I do not know. The God whom I know or do not know has oppressed me. The goddess that I know or do not know has brought suffering on me. Although I am constantly looking for help, no one takes me by the hand. I weep. They do not come to my side. Mankind, everyone who exists, what does he know? Whether he's committing sin or doing good, he does not even know. It's quite pathetic, isn't it? Can you see what a contrast that is to what's before us today? God has clearly spoken. And actually, he commanded that it be written down. In fact, he wrote the ten words himself with his finger on stone tablets, we're going to find out. It was written down. God's standards are clearly revealed. The maker's instructions are not a mystery. They're available. He doesn't leave us in the darkness, uh, wondering what his will might be. We don't need to be uncertain today about what pleases him, about what angers him, where we are uh, in terms of our relationship with him, where we stand with him. What a privilege to know the living God, to receive clear revelation from him, to know what, it is, what he is like, to know what it means to to live righteously before Him. Now, in this covenant, they were being adopted as God's special family amongst all the nations of the world. They were receiving a revelatory encounter with the glory of God. They were receiving the law that would include how they would maintain this relationship, even in their failure, through the tabernacle worship and sacrifices as they believed the promises of God. And from them would come the Messiah. God himself taking on human flesh as an Israelite. Jesus, the Messiah King, the full and complete revelation of God who came to be our Savior. Now let's think more about this privilege that they had. Because these ten words are a freedom manifesto for freed people. Take a look at what it says in verse 2 of chapter 20. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, verse 2 is a reminder. They've been slaves uh, of a tyrannical and cruel king in Egypt who did not know or revere God. See, when the state presumes to take the place of God, it's always tyrannical. But God had delivered them out of slavery 
to be his free people. These 10 words teach them how to live as free people. You know, God has freed them, and it's as if he's saying, look, if you want to maintain and enjoy your freedom, this is how you do it, by keeping my commands. Now, this thought is a bit of a stretch for us because we've got this strange idea in our head that freedom is about having no rules and doing whatever I want. Now, of course, that's not freedom at all. True freedom is the freedom to do what is right and good. Not a freedom to have no rules and to do whatever I want. When Sharon and I were living, uh, we, we spent um, uh, about a month. Uh, Sharon has spent longer than that in, in, in Pakistan. We were living in Quetta in Pakistan. And people, uh, dr- driving was terrifying. I mean, basically, when it came to driving your car or your motorbike or your camel or your donkey, people would pick whatever side of the road they wanted. They would go around junctions and randomized any way they fancied and so you are stressed out of your brain trying to drive down this working out what's going to happen it's so much better when people follow the highway code there's so much more freedom to travel around and, and greater safety and relaxation when people are following the highway code think what it's like to live in a society which is lawless where a large number of people pay no attention to the rules, and just do whatever they want. Well, that is not a free society to live in. A terrifying and frightening society to live in, that's what it is. One with lots of knock, uh, locks and security bars and, and people who fear going outside at night. Can you imagine a society where everybody kept the Ten Commandments? Think of the freedom that you would have. No need to lock your house or your car. No need to remember all those passwords and PIN numbers. No worries about leaving your bag in the park. Women would not feel frightened to walk around the streets of this city at night. No worries that people might be lying to you or ripping you off. No worries about your marriage or your family life. You see, these 10 words were instructions to free people of how they could maintain the blessed status of freedom. Now, I want us to think about what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments and the Sinai Covenant to us as Christians today. And the first thing we need to understand, and I need to work out what are the correct dimensions for slides because that's not very helpful on the screen, is it? Uh, The first thing we need to understand as we read the Ten Commandments is that they do not directly apply to us today as Christians. Uh, They were commandments given to form Israel at the time of Moses. All of the covenants in the Bible are progressively pointing us forward to the new and better covenant relationship with God that he would bring about through his son, Jesus the Messiah. And so as new covenant Christians, we're no longer under the old covenant of Moses. Um, if If you're in a growth group, you would have been looking at the book of Hebrews 
recently in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, it says this, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Or think back to Romans chapter 7. We were considering it about 18 months ago as a church. A fundamental change happens when we unite our lives to Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of the Mosaic law. So the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, verse 4. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law, to the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. So we don't read these commands as people who are obligated under the Mosaic law. So what's the point? of studying them, these commandments, as New Covenant Christians today? Well, I want to suggest three main ways uh, that, in a sense, we're going to keep coming back to these three ways as we work through the commandments in the coming Sundays. So the first way that these ten words, they reveal the character of our Creator who endows us with rights and responsibilities. So let's think about the first part of that. They reveal the character of our Creator. See, these commandments are not randomly chosen. They all reflect the character of the God who gave them. Do you want to know what God is like? Well, consider what the laws of God say about the lawgiver. You know, first thing to know is that while we perversely create and worship and serve false gods, there is only one God the one true God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who revealed himself to Moses, who rescued uh, his people out of slavery in Egypt, who, who thunders from Sinai and says, you shall have no other gods before me, because there is actually no other God. He is holy and unique. Or think about the command, you shall not murder. Well, that reflects the fact that God is the living God who gives life. You shall not commit adultery. Well, because he is the faithful, covenant-keeping God. And he wants his people to reflect him, that they would be faithful in their commitments. You shall not bear false witness. Well, because he is the God who only speaks truth and who never lies. We never have to have any uncertainty when we read the Word of God that what he says is, what he's saying is true. He does not lie. See, the law of God reflects the character of God. And that's the reason that the psalmist has statements like this, Oh, how I love your law. They are more precious than gold. They are sweeter than the honeycomb. Your law is perfect, refreshing the soul. Because the law of God reveals to us the righteous character of God and is so utterly delightful to the psalmist. The other part of that first statement is not only does it reveal the character of God, but it spells out the rights and responsibilities as of, of his uh, creatures who are made in his image. Now, human rights, which we, we so fundamentally believe in and as a society, do you know what? They're not provable by science. 
they're not based on any objective facts that we're all equal. They come from Genesis chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 20. Because we are all made in the likeness and image of God, that gives us great dignity within God's creation. Whoever you are, with your different strengths and weaknesses, you are made in the likeness and the image of God, and therefore you are endowed by your Creator with dignity and with rights. See, these ten words reveal the righteousness uh, of God, and they reveal what righteousness looks like. And this is what we as mankind were created to be like. We were created to live righteously before God, because it turns out God has rights, we'll see in a moment. And we're created to live righteously before each other. Each of us have been created with a conscience so that we know that there is, a, there is a standard of righteousness that we ought to be like, which the Mosaic law lays out in objective text in black and white. And that's why you'll go to places and they've never heard of God's word and yet they, they have an objective sense of what's right and wrong because God has built it into us as creatures and it is reflected in our conscience. These commands, they actually spell out the fundamental rights given to us by our Creator. You shall not murder the right of every person to his or her own life. You shall not commit adultery, the right of every person to his or her own home. You shall not steal, the right of every person to his or her own property. You shall not bear false witness, the right of every person to his or own, her own reputation. Now, I've absolutely loved over Christmas reading a book by Gentry and Wellam called God's Kingdom Through God's Covenant. And it's clarified so many questions for me. It's superb. And here's, uh, here's one thing they, they answered, um, something that struck me in the past. Why are the commandments expressed as prohibitions and a second person singular. Why not express them positively as inalienable rights, as I've just done? Why not address them as being second person plural so that they are addressed to all people? Well, Wellam and Gentry's answer is this. Because God wants each and every individual to think first about the rights of other people and not first about their own rights. I think that's stunning. Our society is obsessed with I, my rights. I demand my rights. But actually God wants his people to be profoundly other person centered. They should act and control their behavior with their focus on how it would impact the rights of God and the rights of other people. Living rightly before God, living rightly before my family, living rightly before my community. And if Israel had obeyed these commandments in their national life, they would have fulfilled the purpose that God had called them to be. A kingdom of priests reflecting the character and the goodness of the, of the God uh, who had saved them and delivered them. They would reflect that goodness to the nations around them. 
But read on in, 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 the, in the Bible, you'll see that Israel disobeyed God. They were unfaithful to the covenant until one Israelite came along, the Messiah, who perfectly obeyed all these commandments. For these commands also reveal the righteous character of the Lord Jesus Christ. So firstly then, the Ten Commandments reveal the character of God as well as the dignity and, and righteousness of what we were created to be like as those who were made in the likeness of God. But secondly, uh, these ten words reveal our sinfulness that drives us to our Savior. See, these commands reveal to us how deeply sinful and broken we are. Before the Apostle Paul was uh, transformed by Jesus, he lived as a Pharisee who fully sought to obey God's commands. And looking back on his experience, he wrote this in Romans chapter 7. I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Nevertheless, in order that the sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is, what is good, that was God's law, to bring about my death, so that through the commandments, sin might be utterly sinful. The Ten Commandments, in a sense, are like a thermometer to us about how utterly broken and sinful we are. And if you have any doubt about that, I would urge you to, to commit to spending the rest of this week just simply trying to obey the command that you will not lie. And uh, just watch your speech for not exaggerating, saying some wee fibs just to get out of trouble, and see whether you can pull it off for a whole solid week that you do not lie. My friends, the, this is a thermometer that shows us how wretchedly broken we are. And Paul ends that chapter in chapter 7 by saying this, What wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see how the law functions as a way that reveals my wretchedness and sin and it, and, it, and it drives me with great joy to the one deliverer that God has provided, Jesus Christ, the one who perfectly obeyed all of these commandments in my place to be my Savior. Why is it so few people in Scotland, in the United Kingdom, feel their need to be saved by Jesus today? Well, because our consciences are hardened. We excuse our sinfulness, and we are kind of ignorant to what God has revealed. And so people do not perceive the depth of their problem as sinners. And so I think there's actually still a great need for people in Scotland to know the Ten Commandments, because they do reveal God's righteous requirements. And we do need to be awakened. A lot of language of being woke today. 
Well, this is actually what we need to be woke to, uh, to our deep-seated problem of sinfulness and to actually bring us to a place of rightly fearing the holy, righteous judgment of God. God spoke from a mountain that was on fire, that was shaking. At the end of the chapter, they are fearing God. They said, look, stop, stop God talking to us. You talk to us, not God. It's terrifying. And I think there's a sense in which our culture still needs to feel that. For only then will the deliverance that Christ has made possible look so wonderful and precious that he who fully obeyed the law of God chose willingly to suffer the penalty and the curse of God's judgment in the place of sinners at the cross to be punished in our place, in your place. As 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous, he was righteous, for the unrighteous, that's all of us. Why did he do it? To bring us to God. See, by God's grace, we are brought to a conviction of our sin. You'll never become a Christian until you realize you're a sinner. You'll never become a Christian until you realize the deep horror of being a sinner. And then you see the beauty and the righteousness of Jesus Christ and lay hold of him as your substitute and savior. The second great use and value of us studying the Ten Commandments. The third is that these ten words point us to the freedom of walking by the Spirit, of what obedience to Jesus looks like. See, these, these, these commandments now point us forward to what discipleship looks like as those who've put our faith and trust in Jesus, who've received the Spirit of God, who now live by the Spirit. We don't live under the Mosaic law. We live in the freedom of the Spirit, obeying the law of Christ. So Romans chapter 7, verse 6, But now by dying to what once bound us, the law, we've been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code, it says in Romans chapter 7. Living for Jesus in the freedom of the Spirit, we are now empowered to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. See, when God makes us brand new people, born again by His Holy Spirit, then there is a new power at work in us, and these commands become promises. These prohibitions become promises uh, that we are enabled to keep by the Holy Spirit. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal or give false testimony. This is what God's Holy Spirit is leading us to be like. And now the Christian church, uh, whether that's Jew or Gentile who are trusting in Jesus, we are the ones who are called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation who reflect the character and the righteousness of God 
in our lives in such a way that the knowledge of God is revealed to the nations. These righteous laws have been perfectly fulfilled by Jesus, and they're now the shape of what a righteous life looks like. And so what we're going to do is we're going to consider how these commands are taken up by Jesus and the apostles, and how they're applied to us as Christians today. Fundamentally, the life of the Spirit is a life of love, which is, it says in Romans, the fulfillment of the law. And my friends, even as we describe what discipleship is, ideally, we are painfully aware, are we not, that we do not keep them perfectly. And that's why we love to sing of Jesus who died for us on the cross, knowing that he, his death cleanses us and washes us from all sin, that there's forgiveness of sins for us as a people, and that he, by his grace, will keep us pressing on to a future destiny where we will perfectly keep God's righteous requirements in his eternal kingdom. And so over the coming Sundays, we're going to consider each of these ten commandments in turn, how they reveal the character of God and our human dignity and our rights and responsibilities. Secondly, how they reveal our sinfulness that drives us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thirdly, how they point us to our ongoing Spirit-empowered obedience to Jesus Christ and point us to our ultimate destiny and glory. What a privilege! That the living God would speak to us. Let's praise Him. Invite the band up. Let me pray. Father God, we do praise You that we're not in the dark about what it means to know You and Your righteous character. We thank you that you saw us in our broken sinfulness and you didn't just judge us, but you came in your Son to redeem those under the law that we might be adopted as your sons and daughters by grace. That what we were not able to do because of the sinful nature, Christ did for us. And that living by your Spirit, we can live in a way that pleases you. Oh, Father, would you use your word to shape us that we would be, as a Christian church, fundamentally different and that you would get all the glory in it and we would live in such a way that people would be drawn to see the beauty of Jesus, our Savior, that others would come to know you, that others would be put right with you. Oh, Father, help us, we pray. Thank you so much for speaking clearly to us in Christ. Amen.